Welcome to Post Pandemic. I'm Courtney Carthy. Each episode, we look at a specific part of society, culture, or the world and ask a guest to imagine what that might be like after it's all said and done. Maybe some sort of new normal, but that's all speculation at the moment. This episode, what will stand-up comedy look like in the future? So much of stand-up comedy's success relies on sharing a cramped room with strangers while someone at the front tells jokes. Sammy Shah is one of those people that does that. He's a comedian of many years, first in Pakistan, but at least for the last six here in Australia, where the show's coming from. He's also the author of novels, presenter of radio documentaries, not a bad drawer if you follow him on Instagram, and until last year was a breakfast radio host at the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. How are you faring? Faring fairly strangely. I mean, this is like, honestly, um, I'm not going to lie, there's definitely a part of this that I enjoy or appreciate, if not enjoy, I think enjoy is an inappropriate way of describing it. But uh, yeah, like I don't uh, get time often to just kind of work at my own pace. You know, it's always I, I have to write something and I have a comedy gig and I have to go to work and I have to do this and I have to do that. And like now, because so much has disappeared, I wake up in the morning, I go for a run, I come back, I sit down, you know, spend time with the family and then I write or I'll, you know, draw or and I in a few years for the first time, I feel like I have time to choose which one I want to do when and um, I'm I'm enjoying that a lot but of course you know there's the part that sucks which is you can't go to restaurants you can't go for movies you can't spend time with friends like all of that is gone and that's heartbreaking but on a on a solitary achievement level it's been oddly uh, peaceful and calming the hope that I suppose is getting a lot of us through this is that someday we will be as the title suggests post-pandemic Let's get stuck into the questions. We've got seven of them. They're the same for every guest, so we can ideally put them against each other at some point in time, and this will be available as a transcript online as well. You can check the episode descriptions for the links. What's your special topic? Uh, my special topic is comedy. I am amongst a few other things. that I'm a comedian, and I think it's primarily how I describe myself is comedian and writer, um, and everything else kind of follows on after that. But... Uh, yeah, I, I was just gearing up to do the Melbourne Comedy Festival just before this happened. And, you know, my largest earnings hit has come from my inability to be a performing comedian anymore um, for the foreseeable future. So, yeah, that's definitely been what's affected me. Let's get into the first question. What will be different for comedy for you after the pandemic? See, I just don't remember... Um, I don't remember. I think a better way to describe it is I, I just don't know how we can be normal after this. I mean, I'm assuming over time, let's say I have, I've observed a few things, right? So like, uh, let me just get there in a roundabout way. You go to the shops, like every now and then we'll have to go for some groceries or for some, uh, you know, some stores and things that we've run out of. Uh, we've done pretty well. We've avoided going mostly at and so I haven't really interacted with other human beings. But, you know, every now and then if I'll go for a run or if I'll end up having to go to the stores, I'll notice the distance people have with, from each other where they'll 
without even realizing they'll kind of do a a wide um perimeter around one another they will they'll you know circle circumambulate each other and it, it's become this kind of weird movement that we're already adopting i've seen people kind of kneeing the crosswalk button you know at traffic lights and stuff as opposed to touching of their hands we've become very quickly aware of the fact that we aren't comfortable in each other's physical proximity because of all of this and and i think something like comedy you know which requires people to go into comedy clubs and you you know you're standing there touching a microphone someone else has touched and and then you know there's people sitting next to each other shoulder to shoulder sometimes in in clubs and i think something like that it's going to take a while to get it back and the only reason i think you get that back or the only way rather you get that back is if this doesn't happen again you know one of the things they describe is that this might be a bit of a new normal for us where we'll have you know lockdowns or isolation and then we go back to normal for a while then we have isolation then we go back to normal and if that's the case something like stand up comedy in clubs in venues unless the new format is you know high stages everyone brings their own microphone and the audiences all sit sit 1.5 meters apart from each other i just don't see how it functions except for maybe like online gigs which i've done one or two of those and it's it's obviously not the same we already know that press conferences just watching them on television don't have the same vibe because mm-hmm. everybody's a meter and a half away from each other in the audience there's the comedy moat uh which i think you could probably give a better explanation yeah. than me that's going to mean death for stand-up comedians for the foreseeable future. Oh, absolutely. Right? So the comedy moat is something that you usually see it prevalent in corporate gigs, you know, or or poorly organized comedy gigs where there'll be the comedian on the stage and then the audience between the audience and the comedian there will be a massive space of emptiness, you know, like just the dance floor or a few conference tables and then the audience. And that moat, that kind of gap between the audience and the comedian, is where comedy goes to die. Because you need that immediacy for comedy, you need a sense of intimacy for comedy. It is more than most other musical formats, or not musical formats, sorry, theatrical formats, dependent entirely on proximity to audience. And uh, I don't see how jokes will work. I mean, okay, so I used to do when I was in Pakistan I used to do stand up comedy on Second Life, which was like an online virtual world because I needed to just kind of do gigs and you, there weren't any gigs in Pakistan. And so I used to go on to you know log into a MMORPG or an online virtual universe and my comedy and my avatar would do stand up comedy using a microphone that I had in Karachi to audiences sitting from around the world um and they were attending using their avatars and so we weren't physically near each other but our avatars were near each other when they could hear me and it worked to an extent it wasn't fantastic but it worked um maybe something like that for a while you know could be a thing or it just comes down to comedians record their comedy albums and just release them but then you don't even have the audience laughter you just have to use laugh tracks or you know the silent judgment of your cats i suppose one way you could do it would be to get on call of duty uh hook up a headset and start doing your routine while everybody's shooting at each other. Yeah, absolutely. And people have done that. And I'm sure you're going to end up with videos of like, "Oh my god, I we, you know, our clan suddenly bumped into Jerry Seinfeld and Louis CK doing stand-up comedy." Like it was who knows, where, you know, but I mean, look, I did um a gig recently a few weeks ago, or in fact a week ago and there's a few more coming up like that, which is like they called me to perform for an online streaming thing that was being streamed on YouTube on deliveredlive.com. 
uh, au. And I, I drove up to the studio. I got out of the car. I went straight into the performance. I waited in the car for 20 minutes until it was my turn. Guy came out, waved at me. So that meant it was my turn. I walked straight into the performance space where there was myself and a cameraman. The cameraman was maybe three meters away from me. Um, and he, and, and plus he had a mask on and everything. I did stand up comedy to the camera. No other audience there, nothing. And I left. And the whole thing was streamed live on YouTube to like over 1500 people. That worked to an extent, but I, I had to rewrite my entire set then. <coughs> Pardon, because, um, comedy requires a setup punchline format. And the punchline is supposed to be followed by a laugh. But if you don't have the punchline being followed by a laugh, then you have to change the entire format. So now it became from a setup punchline, setup punchline, it became almost like a monologue with um, smaller jokes kind of peppered throughout it, uh, building towards one big joke. That's the final ending of the story. So uh, you have to restructure your bits, I guess. And you don't have a captive audience anymore either. Like people can just listen to you and be clicking through browser tabs. And... Well, I mean, like, you know, they, 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 mentally they were doing that in comedy clubs anyway, right? Like people tune out sometimes. <laughs> so they just You can tell, you know, when they've checked out mentally. But yes, it's a lot easier. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. There's, you know, it's like when you're watching stand-up comedy on Netflix. Um, you know, more often than not, you'll put it on and then be on your phone or laptop or something with the comedy playing in the background. And it's a really funny bit will get you to tune back in again. Um, yeah, it's going to be a strange time to see how any of the performing arts, but particular stand-up comedy will survive this. Do you see a, a rebirth or sort of like a, a retracking of laugh tracks? You know, a whole, whole new, like sort of golden age of laugh tracks come up where comedians can select the best laugh track for themselves <laughs> and that will be half the sort of battle. I think not, because I think one of the things that we have now, particularly with online, and we go so online, is an appreciation for authenticity. So we value real human responses now more than we even did before coronavirus. You know, we already did before. We'd kind of seen that with, with the online, with the rise of like online communication and social media, people are being, becoming so disconnected from each other. They start valuing connection with each other. And I think now, uh, particularly with this, something like a laugh track is so robotic and so unrealistic that it'll actually be almost offensive, right? If you're listening to a stand-up comedy, like, have you watched a movie with crowd scenes recently or a TV show? It feels weird. You actually notice the crowd scenes. You notice the people not socially distancing. And that's in just a few weeks of doing this. So it's definitely something which, you know, if you hear... Uh, a laugh track, you'll be like, ah, you know, this was recorded in the last three months. I know there couldn't have been a laugh track because there could have been an audience there. So then I think it'll take you out of it more than pull you in. Question number two, what do you think will become obsolete in comedy after the coronavirus is finished? Um, Handshakes with the audience members after the gig. <laughs> uh, you know, like the comedians who kind of stick around and shake hands and stuff. I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, what will become obsolete in stand-up comedy? That's a tough one because uh, stand-up comedy might become obsolete, right? We might end up like the format that we know and love right now. There might be another form. Like, you know, there's been other formats of storytelling and things like that. And um, they might 
stand-up comedy might evolve. But I think the way we used to do stand-up now, where you have an open mic gig and you go to that open mic and there's 15 to 20 people in the audience and, you know, you hone material in front of them night after night, night after night. And um, then after that, you do, a, you know, you do your main show at the comedy festival or something over 30 nights. And, you know, every night there's people packed into a tiny room watching you. Uh, I think something like that might not be around for a very long time again. Um, and I think uh, re- what what will replace it uh, a better, smarter man than I would have to answer that question. Question three, 18 months from now, we'll say that's the, mm-hmm. that's the length of time before things, you know, recalibrate to the new normal. What do you expect to be different in your daily life? Well, I don't know if I'll still be doing stand-up comedy. Or if I am, I don't know if I'll ever get a chance to do it properly for a long time on stage again. I think I've been lucky in that. And this just purely happened on luck. I transitioned to more writing-based content and gigs than um, uh, than stand-up comedy just as an income source. And so, you know, I'm teaching at universities and that you can do online these days and, and I'm writing books or articles or, or, um, radio plays or, or, you know, some podcasts or something like that. And you can kind of do that from home. And there's going to be a larger appetite for that kind of content anyway. So I think largely it'll be wake up in the morning, go for a run, come, you know, if we're still allowed to go for runs unless we come like, Pardon, Italy or Spain or someone. You could get a nice bubble to yeah, run in. Yeah, you could get a nice bubble to run in. Or, you know, unfortunately, my place is tiny, so I can't really get a treadmill or anything like that. But, you know, go for a run, let's say, in my bubble, come home, and then log on to the computer after eating breakfast with the family. And then we just, uh, you know, I do my work. My daughter does her classes online, and my wife does her uni online. And, and then we take a break for lunch, and then we all have lunch together, and then we do a few more hours. And then, you know... And then in the evening, we watch TV or play a board game. And, and I think that might be it for a while. Like, think about airline travel. How comfortable would you be even six months from now? Let's say the cure, they find a cure in five months. One month after they find the cure. How comfortable would you be in a plane for a long distance journey so close to each other on an economy seat? You know, it's just, it's going to change all our interactions with each other. Crikey. Question four, what Mm -hmm. positives do you see coming from COVID-19, if any? I mean, look, the the benefit to the environment's been great. Um, It's that thing of, uh, you know, like Genghis Khan uh, historians and stuff who who kind of reevaluate Genghis Khan every few decades. The latest kind of reevaluations of his uh, mass murdering career um, as one of the greatest mass murdering tyrants of, in history, uh, say that, yeah, but he was also like an, an accidental environmentalist because he killed so many people that he actually caused reforestation and a removal of, you know, uh, and, and just an overall a, a better a decrease in the greenhouse effect and all of that stuff. So, you know, maybe the environment gets better. The the the, the, the night sky becomes a little bit clearer. The, uh, the view gets a little bit prettier. The air gets a little bit cleaner in some places like Lahore and Delhi and, and parts of China and LA and stuff. Um, I think that's really important. I think we're going to value human contact more. We're going to value human int- intimacy more. Um, and I also think that... Uh, a lot more pets are going to get adopted because cats really, not dogs, because dogs are going to take for a walk. But people bored at home, there's going to be a lot of people adopting cats. Well, in Melbourne, where we are now, the RSPCA of Victoria, I think, has pretty much been cleaned out of cats. There we and go. Dogs. See? Yeah, look at that. Question five 
Uh, how do you think you'll describe the pandemic to somebody in the future that didn't experience it? So I imagine somebody that's probably, you know, under the age of two now when you're 10 years down the track and someone looks up at you and says, Sammy, what was it like? Um, I will say it was, huh? I'll say it was like summer holidays when um you didn't have school and you didn't have work and you didn't have any of those things but take out all the fun bits where you could go out and meet your friends and all of that it's like being grounded or being in detention for months and months and months yeah it really is isn't it yeah just you've got to do your own dishes which i don't mind i like washing dishes <laughs> i'm glad i don't have a dishwasher right now it gives me a task what <laughs> i enjoy okay. washing it's when i it's my meditation time Question six, if you were to write a book, film, or TV series about the global pandemic, what would you call it and why? Mm, book, film, well, it depends on the genre, right? Like, if it's a love story, it's Isolate My Heart. Um, if it is a <laughs> horror, it would just be COVID-19. Like, that's solid. That's a great title. Um, if it is an action adventure, it would probably be... Um, Breaking Quarantine, you know, starring Vin Diesel, something like that, yeah. <laughs> the Fast and the Contagious. The Fast and the Contagious, yeah. Well, that's too zombie. <laughs> yeah. All right, question seven, and the last question, what should we be paying attention to now that you think will affect life after the pandemic? So I think uh, we should be looking at basic universal basic income. I think one of the main things we've realized very quickly, like a lot quicker than we thought even, is that people don't have savings. We live in a credit economy. People don't have savings. Everyone's kind of living paycheck to paycheck. And as a result, once those paychecks stop coming, basic subsistence could not be covered. Rent couldn't be covered. Food couldn't be covered. Medicine couldn't be covered. Things like that. We're lucky we have Medicare in Australia. and We're lucky we have something like Centrelink or Newstar. But obviously, the numbers on that, the, the amount of money it even gives is, is not enough. So, um, yeah, I think if you give people ba universal basic income, you're going to find that it provides a level of safety and security when something like this happens that uh, you would not have otherwise have had. I don't think we're going to end up with a place where corporations don't get the kind of bonuses that they get and the kind of profits that they get, because that's pretty much as old as the history of corporations or as old as the history of human endeavor, profiteering. But um, I do think some level of security for those without that is consistent across the board, regardless of your income levels, um, is going to be required. Because we're going to find out very quickly that you can go from middle income to lower income um, really bloody fast. I kind of got, I got lucky in that I got a, a, a harsh slap in the face or about that just, a, you know, six months ago because I, I was, I had a well-paying job and then I got fired from it. And, um, and so I lost the income from that job overnight. And so I had to, you know, adapt to living on a lot less and figure out what is and isn't, um, necessary. But, uh, you know, it could obviously get far worse still. And I'm, I'm still hugely grateful for what I have. But, uh, yeah, I think it's one of those things where as it sits right now, um, a lot more people than, you know, we've been, call, you know, we're looking down on people on, um, Centrelink and calling them dole bludgers and this and that. It's a lot harder to judge them when you are now a one of them. Mm. I, I saw a tweet recently where that said something along the lines of, hold on. I've been living paycheck to paycheck and my landlord's been living paycheck to paycheck and the bank's been living paycheck to paycheck and the airline's been living paycheck to paycheck. 
what's going on? Well, it, it just it literally is something as simple as that. Like the fact that they, a lot of like the airlines didn't have more savings to just survive a few months without any profit or any income. That's shocking. That is absolutely shocking. And and uh, you know that means that they're as vulnerable as we are, and that's not good. Because why the hell are we paying them so much money then? Thinking about stand-up and thinking about the venues, what do you think is going to happen to them? Honestly, I think a lot of venues are going to close. A lot of venues have already closed. Um, And one of the things that the arts like stand-up particularly are dependent upon is, you know, um, customer income. Is people paying money to watch it happen? And if people don't have money and they're insecure about attending, that stuff is just going to dry up. I think a lot of comedians are going to move online. You're going to see a lot more people doing things like online YouTube content and that kind of stuff because the creative impulse doesn't go away. Um, I also think you will see a lot of them kind of moving into writing in those areas. Um, and I genuinely do believe we will see a new evolved kind of changed stand-up comedy happening, which will be more uh, particular to whatever theater spaces, performance spaces we end up with in a bit. But uh, it's not going to continue for a while the way it has been for so long. Well, look, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Yeah, sorry it wasn't very funny. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think there's a lot that's funny about the current situation. I mean, my hair's blonde. (laughs) Like, that was funny. I don't know why I did it, but, you know, that's, I suppose, the closest to comedy I've come in the last few days is is clearly having a nervous breakdown quite publicly. (laughs) Pretty sure that you posted a photo of yourself Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. what was previously almost jet black hair, now... Pretty damn blonde. Was it a couple of cycles you had to go through to get that sort of light color? We did four, uh, no, three um, uh, uh, bleaches. So four hours total of bleaching. And then after that, the hair dye. So yeah, my scalp gets Wi-Fi now. Social links and more information about Sammy Shah are in the episode notes or on the website. Go to postpandemic.xyz or xyz depending on your preference sammy thanks so much for being on post-pandemic thanks for having me sammy is a comedian writer novelist likes to draw among other things he's got white hair at the moment which you can see on his Instagram account, which is at sammyshah.com. That's D-O-T-C-O-M, or check the show notes for a link. Sammy and I worked on a podcast together for the Australian Broadcasting Corporation a few years ago now. It's called Laughing Dead. He interviews comedians about their worst gigs, and it really is a hoot. Check it out, Laughing Dead, where you're listening now to hear all the ways stand-up comedy falls on its face even without a global killer virus getting around find sammy in many places they're listed in the episode notes sorry if you're listening on spotify they just don't do links there but check out our website www.postpandemic.xyz If you're enjoying post-pandemic, please leave a review where you're listening and get in touch if you'd like to suggest a topic or a guest, postpandemic.xyz. Post-pandemic is hosted by me, Courtney Carthy. Production is by Neely Media. Cover artwork by Studio Baker. And our theme music was created by Alex Shulgin.